Welcome into the Jazz Notes podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson. A very happy Friday to you. It is August 27th. Can't believe we are almost to September. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. That's where you can find us on social media as well, at KSL Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Also TikTok, and you can also download the KSL Sports app in your app store, whatever kind of phone you have. Uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter. Again, as I mentioned, at Ben's Hoops. That's the best way to get in touch with me. If you have questions you want answered on this podcast mailbag that I like to do every week, that's the best way to do it. Whether you see my tweet asking for questions or you just want to send me a DM and ask, uh, you can do that as well. I'm always happy. I had a couple of people actually DM me this week with questions. So uh, glad you're listening and uh, glad you're following along. Let's get into it as uh, we've kind of reached the slow season of the uh, NBA summer uh, only a couple of moves being made here and there, so things are slowing down a little bit, just kind of getting ready for next year, which I think is going to come up pretty quickly. So, let's get started. Appreciate everyone who sent in questions. Tony Anderson, no relation. Who do you think will be the biggest surprises, both positively and negatively, among the new Jazz players? So, I, I think, I guess the easy answer would say, well, I think Hassan Whiteside is going to be the easy negative surprise for jazz fans because I think anyone who's expecting him to come in and kind of put up the crazy numbers he did in Portland a couple of years ago as a starter or what he did in Miami probably are going to be a little bit disappointed he's just not really that guy he wasn't that guy last year for the Sacramento Kings he didn't look like he was all that interested in coming off the bench and once he wasn't getting real minutes and maybe it was because it was just a bad team and it was a young team and they weren't trying to win games all that hard uh, he didn't care, and maybe his care factor is going to be more closely tied to how good the team is, and that's kind of happened with Miami and kind of happened with Portland. Maybe that's a good thing for the Jazz, but uh, maybe he just doesn't buy in. Maybe he doesn't feel like he wants to play 15 minutes off the bench, or maybe he can't do some of the more intricate things that Rudy Gobert does as a starter. And so it surprises Jazz fans that he's kind of not this this great player that his statistics might make you think. But I don't actually think Jazz fans have all that high of expectations for him. I think they may have set the bar a little bit low. So let me burst your bubble with a negative surprise and say, I, I won't be surprised if Rudy Gay is a guy who Jazz fans are a little underwhelmed by, uh, you know, especially statistically. He had good numbers last year in, in San Antonio. He was fine. Actually, I think his best number was that among qualified players on the team, so it eliminates Derek White because he only played half the games. Uh, Rudy Gay actually led San Antonio in, in plus-minus. So that's a good sign uh, because I actually think his plus-minus is going to reflect a lot of what you saw with George Niang, which is playing in that rotation that also had Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert. So those three might end up with the uh, top three plus-minus of anyone on the team, just like they did last year uh, with Rudy Gay in place of George Niang. But I won't be surprised if his numbers actually aren't that impressive to Jazz fans. He's not really the wing defender I think a lot of you want him to be. He's not going to be the guy who goes out there and really locks anyone up. He probably is a little bit more George Niang at this point in his career than he is prime Rudy Gay. Uh, He's not Jeff Green. I mean, I think he's better than that. I think the fit's going to be better. I don't know exactly what went wrong with Jeff Green in Utah, but there was weird fit issues there, even though everyone seemed to like him. It wasn't a personality problem. It was just whatever the role just wasn't right with the Jazz. And maybe they just had too many new pieces and too many moving pieces with Mike Conley and Ed Davis and all these guys they ended up working around. But regardless, it didn't work out. I think Rudy Gay will be better than that. I don't think he's, you know, Rudy Gay of, you know, his time in Sacramento or his time in Toronto where he was scoring 20 points a game. I don't think he's that player anymore. So that might be disappointing. Biggest positive surprise 
if he can play is is Jared Butler and but what I mean by if he can play not if he's talented enough I know he's talented enough if there's room for him in the rotation you know he's already entering one of the best backcourts in the NBA and then Trent Forrest had a great summer league and he didn't even get to play in summer league speaking of Butler so Mike Conley's an all-star Donovan Mitchell's an all-star Jordan Clarkson won six man of the year Joe Ingles was the second uh, runner-up for six man of the year so it was already good, and then you brought in Trent Forrest on a two-way contract who played 30 games last year and looked good to me, looked excellent in Summer League. I think everybody saw that. Now he's trying to uh, he's trying to fit in on that Jazz roster coming in, really not just behind one eight ball, but maybe behind five in front of him. Uh, but his career was overshadowed at Baylor. Uh, you know, COVID shut down the year, uh, the season two seasons ago. Otherwise, he may have had more hype and probably could have been a first-round draft pick. Uh, decided to go back to college to to chase a championship, ended up winning. But even there, it seemed like towards the end of his career, even though he won the most outstanding player at the NCAA tournament, Davion Mitchell actually ended up getting most of the credit, uh, even though uh, any given night, it looked like Jared Butler was the best player on the floor. So he'd be my biggest surprise. A lot of high level college experience, uh, you know, one of the best players in college last year. For a reason, that's why they won the championship. He'd be my biggest surprise. And only the surprise is that Jazz fans haven't seen a lot of him. Jazz Uniform Tracker, one of my favorite uh, and actually just most used uh, Twitter accounts that I follow. You should follow them uh, also, at Jazz Unitracker. After seeing D-Wade hint at some new fresh heat a couple of weeks ago, what direction would you like to see the Jazz go when it comes to branding and uh, color-wise? So this is something that I talked about a little bit last week on the podcast. Uh, It seems like, and from what I've heard, Ryan Smith and Dwayne Wade don't want to keep kind of going back to the old trustworthy well of, of... retro jazz stuff they might want to carve out some new designs and maybe even some new colorways for the team every time i see donovan or i should say i see Dwayne wade and ryan smith they're wearing black and white jazz gear for the most part there's a couple of uh you know one-offs here and there but it seems like for the most part it seems like they wear black and white so that would be my guess but maybe that's just because they golf a lot and that's you know you don't wear always a ton of bright colors on the golf course uh, outside of a few players on the tour. So maybe it's just a politeness thing, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went black and white. Personally, I love the old white jerseys with the purple logo. The, that's one the Jazz haven't utilized yet that I would love to see come back. They haven't done it. We'll see if they get it done before uh, they do a little bit of an overhaul. Uh, but you know what? The, the dark mode jerseys, I think, have looked really good. I like the orange and, and red. You don't want to be the Phoenix Suns, but I think so, kind of maybe that more uh, dark burnt orange color is a good look and is something the Jazz could lean into, and it seems like fans really embraced the dark mode jerseys. One thing I think that, that we have an allowance for now that we like and actually I think worked in the early 2000s outside of just the jersey cut was so bad that you know the, the super baggy shorts and jerseys didn't age super well. Uh, well, some of the bright colors actually have, have worked really well back then. I think we still, you know, crave some of that that kind of not cartoony, but some of the more uh, ambitious or thinking outside the box designs that we saw. Everyone loves the Memphis Grizzlies jerseys from back then. They were Vancouver. Everyone loves the Toronto Raptors jersey that has the actual dinosaur on it. Uh, everyone right now loves the Miami Heat Vice jerseys for the most part. And people like the Jazz uh, dark mode jerseys. And that's because they've been different they've been outside the box and uh fortune seems to f- to uh favor the bold there so i wouldn't be surprised if they went more in that direction and uh i think it's ben barnes ben is the guy's name regardless i know that because that's my first name he does jazz jersey design too he's one of the best in the business he's super talented so whatever they do i would uh, i would trust him i think he's the right guy for the job uh t ray tyler on twitter 
Would you have picked a different player at 30, or was Butler the clear best choice? The only thing that would have changed this is, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm a doctor by any means. I don't know what his knees look like. I don't know when a guy's knees are bad enough to red flag him. Or when you say, oh, this guy's knees are something that, yeah, maybe he needs a little extra rest for a season. Or he's going to need a surgery at some point. But by no means is that going to derail his career. Versus Brandon Roy, whose knees were shot and, you know, only lasted whatever, six or seven seasons in the NBA. Uh, Talent-wise, no question. Would have picked him at 30. I thought Jared Butler, and I tweeted this. Uh, I'll include the tweet in this article if you're uh, just kind of picking up the podcast. You can go and look at it, see some of my breakdowns in writing. I thought he was going to be the steal of the first round of the draft. Basically, everyone had him projected after the lottery due to his age. Uh, there were some questions about his heart, if you remember, which is why he transferred from Alabama before he ever played and went to Baylor where they cleared him. Uh, at least that was part of the reason. I would have picked him at 30. I would have picked him at 20. I would have picked him at 15. Uh, watching his footage and, and watching his film and several of the Baylor games that I watched, he was just very regularly the best player on the floor. He's incredibly smooth with the ball in his hands. He's going to be an elite shooter if he gets on the floor in the NBA. He's a good playmaker. He's a strong defensive player, thinks the game. He kind of does everything you want in a guard, uh, I think, in the NBA. Now, you know, it was kind of funny. I don't know why I really wrote him up uh, as a bio. I didn't do as many draft bios this year. He was the one guy, when I finished, I said, probably wasted a day riding and watching his games because there's no way he's going to slip to the Jazz at 30. And then, lo and behold, he was there for the Jazz at 40 after they traded out of 30, which I wouldn't have done, especially when I saw on draft night that Jared Butler was still sitting there. But it ended up working out for the Jazz because not only did they get him at 40, they added two additional draft picks. Uh, and his gaunt contract is much smaller than it would have been. So if he does have serious knee issues, it's not as big of a loss if you gave up on him though you would have been smarter to use a first-round pick on somebody else if that ends up being the case. So I really like the pick. That's who I would have picked uh, if I were the Jazz at 30. Uh, I would have even honestly considered trying to trade up for him. I don't know what move you would have made, but uh, you know he was a guy I really loved coming out of the draft. There is probably some karma that last year I wrote up like 25 different draft bios. The two players I skipped were Yudoka Azabuki and Elijah Hughes because the Jazz traditionally haven't drafted Syracuse guys, and I didn't think they needed another big man, and they went with a big man and a Syracuse guy. So... Uh, I was happy when they uh, drafted him just because I'd already put in the work in on him and I just so happened to really like him as a prospect. Glenn Anderson, again, uh, no relation from uh, the Andersons. Do we let Ingles become a free agent next summer? Can we extend him? Can you guess we trade, let him walk, or resign? Also, I love Bogey and want to keep him here long term, but his trade value is his trade value at an all-time high. Uh, Joe Ingles is... Really, you know, one of the more interesting players uh, coming into this season for the Jazz. I'm curious how much longer he wants to play in the NBA because he won uh, a, a, an Olympic medal with Australia, which was certainly one of his major career achievements. He's got a young family. He's talked about wanting to return to Australia. He's got investment opportunities there in Australia. Uh, he's big in the real estate market. So that's something he's talked about wanting to do. He's always talked about letting this contract end and sitting down with his wife and discussing how they want to raise their kids and where they want to be. Uh, you know, And you know his unique family situation. He's got twins. Uh, his son Jacob has autism, and I think they really like the program. They're, they're working with him here. But look, you can find probably find that in Australia too. So I don't know how all those personal decisions are going to be made, and obviously you just want the best for that, for that family. Uh, but I think they have talked about wanting to raise his family in Australia in the past. Maybe that's changed. They do have a big house here, but uh, 
I wouldn't be surprised if they they start thinking is he's getting a little older. He's not, you know, he's 34. He's not a grandpa by any means, but uh, he could certainly look to return there if he feels like he's achieved what he can in the NBA. He's made boatloads of money, certainly more than I think he probably ever expected when he signed with the Clippers coming over here uh, and then wound up on the Jazz. So he's set for life. He's got financial uh, investments there, as I mentioned. Now it's just a matter of where he wants to raise his kids. So I think they'll look long and hard at that this offseason. As a result, what do you do? Do you trade him? Do you let him walk? If you know, you look at the Jazz huge luxury tax bill and you have a guy coming off the books and Joe Ingles that's going to have interest and value for another team and maybe at a spot where the Jazz have depth, as I've talked about at the point guard or at the guard position where they have uh, Trent Forrest now and they have Jared Butler and we know that you have three guys in, in Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson who can all really play. If you decide you want to move a higher price guard and he makes almost $14 million a year that ends up saving you like 30 million bucks this season. Uh, that's probably not a bad trade. If you can find someone to take him, which teams will want him. He helps you win in the playoffs. We saw the jazz, uh, use him a lot against the Clippers. Uh, and he was pretty good starting in place of Mike Conley. In fact, he was very good. And if you could get, you know, a first round draft pick back or a couple of second round draft picks back from a team that's just willing to eat the salary uh, and wants him for a playoff run, uh, even if it's just to borrow him because they think they can win a championship or a team in the East feels like, you know, he's the missing piece, that's pro- probably pretty valuable for the Jazz. So I, I wouldn't eliminate any options with uh, Joe Ingles and what they would do. As for Bogey, probably also depends on how good Rudy, Go- uh, Rudy Gay plays. If Eric Pascal looks like a guy who can step in and play some serious minutes, neither of those guys is anywhere near the, shooty- the shooter that Boyan Bogdanovich is. You know, he's a guy that can give you 30 points and a half in a playoff series. We've seen him do that. So uh, if th- those guys are hard to come by and, and Bogey gives the Jazz a huge scoring punch and, and we didn't really see him fully healthy with a fully fitting Mike Conley this year, we actually just haven't seen it at all. I don't think Mike Conley fully clicked in his first year with the Jazz before the league shut down. Uh, that's when Boyan Bogdanovich was terrific. And then he had surgery uh, when the league was shut down and didn't come back for the bubble. And then he was hurt from that wrist surgery still and didn't feel like he really kind of got back into the swing of things until late in the year. And at that point, Mike Conley was out with a hamstring injury. And then they never really played together in the playoffs either. So uh, I-, I don't know how good those guys are going to be together. I think you probably want to give them most of the season to figure out how well they can all play. And if those guys can all be, you know, 18 to 20 point per game scores or 17 to 20 point per game scores at super high efficiency, it gets really hard to move Boyan Bogdanovich. But next year, you know, next season, 2022-2023, his expiring contract is super valuable as well, going back to what we talked about with Joe Ingles. So, you know, there's there's smart cost-cutting moves. Uh, It might depend a lot on the play of, of Rudy Gay, Eric Pascal, Jared Butler and Trent Forrest if the Jazz feel like they want to make a move, but Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich could certainly be in that conversation. Jake Shepard, do you think Quinn will give guys like Joe Ingles and Rudy Gay rest days like he does with Conley, just to keep them more fresh for the playoffs? So I may have addressed this in a previous podcast. I'm sorry if I did. I'm really interested in how teams use rest this coming season. There was so much talk about the condensed year from 2019-2020, which got shut down in March, uh, due to the, the pandemic, and then came back, what was it, July, late July, and ran through October. Uh, and all those guys played, and they lived in the bubble, and it was crazy. And then they turned around, and they were playing games already by, what was it, mid, you know, mid-early December. Uh, the season was already back. And, and we were talking about how quick that turnaround was. And unquestionably, it was. October to December is really fast. But that was only a couple of teams. And 
Remember, half the league didn't go to the bubble. So half the league was off between March and December. Okay, that's a longer break than you usually get. So we've talked about all this concern for injuries and guys not being up and ready to go, etc. Half the league had a long period off, and even some of those teams that went to the bubble didn't make it to the playoffs. You know, they didn't end up in the postseason. So not everyone ended up playing there either. So in that sense, I think there was a lot of of rest for NBA teams. I do wonder a little bit more if, hey, the fact that you played from December this year up until, when did it end? July? Late July? And then you turn around and you start going in October with a full season with all 30 teams and you had travel this season. Remember, you didn't have any travel in the bubble. Those guys lived in the hotels in Orlando. I wonder if that actually starts to add up more than it did over the last two seasons. I wonder if these current seasons, with the second one being the one we're about to go into, I wonder if that ends up having actually a bigger impact on the wear and tear on these guys' bodies. Thus, I won't be surprised if more teams use rest far more liberally than they did last year. Uh, And that could include Quinn Snyder, who looked like he got a little bit more comfortable resting guys throughout the year, even though injuries certainly, uh, certainly robbed him of that opportunity. It did seem like he was trying to give Joe Ingles extra days off, Mike Conley here and there, though he was dealing with the hamstring injury all season long. I won't be surprised if if you just try and give guys a couple extra days off. And look, if you're trying to get Hassan Whiteside engaged and buying into the roster, even though Rudy, Go, Rudy Gay really, I should say, sorry, Rudy Gobert never likes to miss games, maybe you give him a night off here and there just to make sure you're fully healthy. Because the reason the Jazz, you know, really didn't have a chance to beat the Clippers was because Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell were, were hurt in the playoffs. Maybe they wouldn't have beat them if they were fully healthy, but uh, you certainly would have liked your opportunity a little bit more. Uh, T-Ray, back to Tyler. Got two more questions here. Appreciate you sticking around. What grade do you give the Jazz offseason? What West contenders had a better year? So uh, looking at the money that Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry got with the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat, it was four years, $120 million for Chris Paul, three years, $90 million for Kyle Lowry. The fact that the Jazz got Mike Conley on three years and about $70 bucks. And the third year is only partially guaranteed, though it's a somewhat significant guarantee. Uh, that's a really good deal. The Jazz, the Jazz got a good price for, for Mike Conley. So I think in that sense, it's an A. You had to bring him back, and you did. Rudy Gay's been a favorite of the Jazz front office for a while, at least for Justin Zanuck, I, could, I should say. Uh, I know he's liked him for some time, so that's good. The Jazz went and brought him in. I think he helps. Like I told you, I think he might be more George Niang at this point in his career than prime Rudy Gay, but... Uh, his experience and, and, and you know, his, his relationship with, with Mike Conley should help the Jazz. I think that's a that's a big plus. I don't know what to think about Hassan Whiteside. It could go one of a lot of different ways. He could easily be better than Derek Favors if he buys in, block shots, you know, finishes around the hoop, and, and makes the veterans minimum as, as opposed to the $10 million that the Jazz were paying Derek Favors. He could also be significantly worse, and you could see Yudoka Azabuki fighting him for minutes by midseason. Neither would surprise me. Uh, so I don't know what to mark there. I think Jared Butler was a was a very strong draft pick, and if he pans out, that could really give the Jazz an A-plus summer, but we won't know until then. So as it is, considering you did have to give up a first-round pick, you didn't solve a lot of your financial issues going forward, but what do I care? It's not my money. I'd give the Jazz a very solid B-plus, A-minus grade today with a chance for that to go up significantly and probably not drop all that much outside of you know everyone getting hurt that they re-signed. I don't think the Jazz had a bad offseason by any means. So, good. B plus, A minus. Uh, who got better in the West? I don't think the Lakers... 
got better from a talent perspective. I, I actually am a fan of Russ, though I don't know if he helps you win basketball games. I like Russell Westbrook. Uh, but they should get better just because Anthony Davis is going to be healthier and LeBron's going to be healthier. And actually what Russell Westbrook does allow you to do is for those guys to take possessions off because he is just such a machine and has one of the craziest motors in NBA history, maybe the best. Uh, so that that will be helpful, but I don't know if he actually makes them better in a playoff series. Uh, the Suns had to bring back Chris Paul, and they did. They didn't have to pay him $45 million. They gave him you know $30 million bucks a year, so that'll help their luxury tax a little bit. Uh, their salary cap overall, really, in general. They did that. They also brought Cam Payne back, who I thought he was going to leave because I thought he would cost too much money, and they got him pretty cheap. Uh, I think JaVale McGee actually helps you win games, uh, and I think we saw that in the Olympics. Uh, I think the the Nuggets liked him last year. So I, I don't think those were bad moves at all. They, you saw how thin they were at backup center. might have been the reason they actually lost the championship game, uh, the championship uh, series, I should say. So getting JaVale was good, and I like Landry Shamit, even though Landry Shamit's starting to fall into that Jay Crowder, a fellow Phoenix Suns player, and Tobias Harris, uh, as the guys who you always seem to like, and they always are the guy that gets traded. So why do they get traded if everyone likes them? Those guys tend to have a little bit more question marks when you watch them night in and night out. And truthfully, I just don't watch Landry Shamit out that much from his time with the Clippers or his time with the Nets. We'll see if I see him a little bit more with the Suns this year. So, But I like their additions. Uh, I do think losing Javon Carter, who I'm a fan of, is going to hurt them defensively during the regular season, though he doesn't play a lot in the playoffs. And Torrey Craig was actually good last year in the playoffs, too, and they lost him. Uh, so I think those those could potentially hurt. Last question. Uh, this came via my DMs on Twitter again. Follow me at Ben's Hoops. It's the best way to get them to me. If the Millers were still the majority owners, what do the very specific moves the front office has made this summer look like? So if it was the Millers and not Ryan Smith, do the Jazz spend the same money they did this offseason? How would things look? My guess, my gut tells me that Mike Conley wouldn't be back with the Jazz. I think they would have balked at this big of a luxury tax bill, which is going to be you know $70 million plus to bring all these guys back. Or maybe they would have made other cost-cutting trades to try and unload more salary to bring Mike Conley back, but that could have cost you Joe Ingles, or it could have cost you Boyan Bogdanovich, or it could have cost you Jordan Clarkson or Royce O'Neal or whoever. Ryan Smith could still do that, but uh, he didn't yet. And so you're going to get a good sample size for the Jazz to test out how good this roster is as currently uh, built before they make any major changes. So I think that's the major difference between uh, Ryan Smith and the Millers. But make no mistake, the Millers were really fantastic owners. The reason the Jazz are in such good shape right now and the reason they have the players they do is because uh, they did spend the money they did when they needed to, to to bring some of these guys in and invest in the guys they did to uh, to build this team into a near championship roster. So uh, I think the Millers are good owners. I don't know if Mike Conley's back on the roster this season. If uh, they still own the team, and if he is, it may have cost you Boyan or it may have cost you Clarkson or Joe Ingles, as I said. So that might be the biggest difference. Ryan Smith might be a little bit more willing to part with his money. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Jazz Notes Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. Catch me again next week. Follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. Download the KSL Sports app. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at KSL Sports.